thank you. Um, what more of an awkward moment than to stand up after, after that and try to deliver a message that's inspiring enough to combat the prayer. Um, I, w like we said the other week, Lee and I are so privileged um, and we feel so honoured that you guys would continue to support us. Um, and we know that God has called us to this. We know that we don't have all of the information, but we know that all of the gifts of the Spirit, all of the calling to do the whole work of the ministry is in this church. Um, gone are the days of the uh, man of God syndrome that we had in church where I had to do everything and be everything and know everything. I don't. Sorry, you can leave now. I don't, but I know that you guys do, and together we can make a significant difference and continue our impact in the community. If you're new here this morning, welcome. What a Sunday to be here. We're so excited that you're here this morning. We're celebrating what God is going to do through our church in 2019. And uh, I, I believe that God has a powerful plan for your life as well. And often that plan doesn't just involve you. God's plans always involve others. And that's why the church is such a significant role in the kingdom of God. We know at East Lake that we need people in our lives that believe in us, challenge us, encourage us. And so I hope if you're new here this morning, you find that. Um, you're probably sitting next to someone just like you because we haven't got it all figured out. We still need good people in our life. And I thank the good people that we have here at Eastlake. I hope you enjoy the service. Um, it's Vision Sunday. What a scary title for a pastor. I've discovered that anyway this week and probably for 20 years what dad's been going through. Um, I feel the weight, um, but I'm also really excited about it. If you've missed it, in the flyer on your seat or on the new walls in the auditorium, at Eastlake, we believe that we are Jesus followers, we are hope traffickers, and we are your local church. That's our mission, to be Jesus followers, to be hope traffickers, and to be your local church. I don't expect much of a applause on that one because no one's got any idea yet, I guess, what I mean by that. Um, so let's unpack it. Hey, can we pray first though? Lord, I ask this morning that you would speak through me the vision that you have for our church. I pray that it would fall on good soil, the hearts of each and every person that calls Eastlake home. Lord, I know what you have in store for us is bigger than we could ever imagine. And I pray that each and every one of us opens ourselves up to be a vessel to be used to complete your vision here on earth in the city of of Mandra. Amen. Amen. Have we been doing it wrong? No. Do we need to change everything? We haven't. Love God, love others, reach the world is still so true. What we are doing is bringing focus. We're bringing a unique language that us at East Lakers can own. We're evolving in our expression of the church. Know what we believe doesn't change. That stays the same. But how we present the gospel, that can change. 
Just look at the life of Jesus and the way in three years of ministry that he presented his messages to the different types of people that he encountered. And then look at the church in Acts that took that forward and evolved in their expression of the church. Although the one thing that remained was their love for Jesus and their belief that he was the son of the living God. All right? I just wanted to say that right up front. Mum and dad have always said that they hold this church loosely and not in terms of their passion or love for the church, but in terms of understanding that ultimately this is God's work. And Lee and I want to say the same. Lee and I love this church. We are passionate about this church and we will lead it strongly, but we will not hold on to it because of fear, because of greed, or because the way we have always done things is the way that we always should. We believe that with fresh vision becomes fresh energy. And I think we have seen that over the years at Eastlake as Pastor Aaron, my inspiring, amazing dad, has led us from step to step to step forward into our future as a church. Out of our love for God, what is our stamp on mantra? He's also stood up here on stage and said, if our church was to disappear overnight, would the city even realize? And would they know? I believe that they would. I know that they would. But could we take it one step further? Can we fill a hole in this city that they can't fill themselves? Can we do for the city what the city can't do for itself? That's been my prayer since late last year. God, help us be the church that does for the city what the city can't do for itself. This is big. It's an attitude of faith, and we believe that where we are going is big because we're going there with God. So let's unpack this. We are Jesus' followers. Does that need a lot of unpacking? I actually think I couldn't put it better than when Dad got up and preached week two of launching our This Is Big series. And he talked about the story in Mark 10 of Jesus and the rich young ruler and how the rich young ruler approached Jesus saying, good teacher, good teacher, how might I have eternal life? And Jesus responded with the law. He gave him a list of things that he should do in the the rich young ruler returned and said, I've done all these things. And Jesus said, well, there's still one more thing you need to do. Sell all of your possessions, give away all of your possessions and come follow me. Now, the rich young ruler's wealth would have been a trap for him and probably for him as an individual, that was the thing that was holding him back from following after Jesus. But what Jesus was primarily asking him to do was come follow me. The issue was not as much the wealth as it was his approach to Jesus. Do we see Jesus as just good teacher or do we see him as the savior of our life? Do we see Jesus as just good teacher or the savior of our life? Because our approach to Jesus makes a really big difference. When we approach him as good teacher, it's like we come begging. But when we approach him as savior, we follow willingly. When we approach Jesus as good teacher, he gives us the law. 
When we approach Jesus as our Savior, He gives us His grace. What is grace? His unmerited favor. His willingness to provide power on our behalf. Are we approaching Jesus as good teacher or is he the savior of our life? Mark 10, 27 said the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. That's a pretty powerful promise, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I want to be a Jesus follower. With God, all things are possible. I want to live that kind of life. I want to live the this is big faith attitude, God, all things are possible kind of life. I want to be a Jesus follower. And at Eastlake, we are Jesus followers. Agreed? Cool, we've got one down. Let's do it. We are hope traffickers, agreed? Yeah, hesitation. Trafficker. Why trafficker? Doesn't trafficker mean illegal? Yep. And that's exactly the point. Trafficker literally means a person who deals or trades in something illegal. People who would do anything to conceal, to transport a product to its destination despite the threat of jail, of violence, and even death. And yes, traffickers in our world that we know ironically traffic almost the same thing of violence, death, and the threat of jail. But what if we trafficked something different? What if we trafficked hope? What would it look like to traffic hope with the same reckless abandonment in our zeal to share hope with the world? I see hope traffickers in our church. I see people who, despite their circumstances, will not allow their circumstances to seize their portion of hope. I see hope traffickers in our church, people who refuse to allow the pressure of our world to conform, to do the same as they are, to respond in anger, to respond with greed, to respond with gossip, and instead there's people in our church that choose to respond with hope, who choose hope instead. I see traffickers who would stand in the way of an oncoming attack so that someone else could make their way through with their hope intact. I see hope traffickers who, like an NFL quarterback, are lining up with the end zone in mind despite the defensive giants that are coming towards them who would take the hit in order to throw the ball further down the field. I see hope traffickers in our church. Hope in the darkness, hope in the pain, hope through the journey when all seems lost, hope. When all seems buried, hope. Because the world once buried our Savior, 
But there was a power, a power greater than the grave. A power greater than the grave. I get fired up about that one. In Romans 8, 11 to 25, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God Christ Jesus, as just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you believe, like if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share suffering. Traffickers. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit, which is a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need a hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. We are hope traffickers, church. If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. So who needs hope? Those who would say that hope is lost. Those who would say that there is no end to my despair, my pain, my rejection. Those who would fight against you. Those who would torment you for they know not what they do. Who needs hope? This broken world who believes the commodity of hope is almost illegal. Who believes that the good news is too controversial, too unbelievable. Who needs hope? The lost and the broken. Can we do it? Can we do it? I think we can. The local church, the hope of the world. As Lee wrote in her beautiful book, she said, hope in us stirs hope in others. The local church, that's you, that's me, that's Eastlake. We are hope traffickers for the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We are hope traffickers, church.
And for the second time today, agreed? Yeah, okay. I get a little bit dry when I'm really preaching. So let's switch to do teaching. We are your local church. Would it surprise you if I said that the word church isn't actually in the Bible? Would it surprise you if I said Jesus never said the word church? The first time the word church appears in our English Bible is in Matthew 16, 18. In an exchange with the disciples, Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers immediately, You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just as quickly, Jesus responds, Simon, son of Jonah, blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Side note, did you just see what happened? Every time that we gather together as the church and praise and worship, we are a current day fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy 2,000 years ago. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Congratulations, moving on. In a clever play on words, what Jesus did in this moment, he said, Peter, whose nickname was the rock, and he connected the rock to his declaration to what was to come, the cornerstone or the foundation for this new entity called the church would be the belief that Jesus is the Son of the living God. 2,000 years later, this is still somewhat the uniting factor of most churches and most followers of Jesus. But I just said that Jesus never said church, right? And that's what's interesting and has to be explored. Do you want to explore it with me? Should we get our Bible nerd hats on? Dave Cheeseman, I actually think it's really powerful. Being a Bible nerd, for lack of a better term, being someone who reads their Bible, is powerful because when we develop our faith in the Word of God, we become more powerful in our world. Faith in the Word of God is a powerful, powerful thing. We need to explore that thing. We need to divulge that thing. We need to unpack it and really understand what is it saying to me right now in this situation in my life. So let's get a little nerdy. The English translation of the Bible misses, I think, a really important part of what Jesus was saying in that moment. The Greek translation of the word church in our Bibles, the Greek, the Greek word that Jesus used was ekklesia. It wasn't a religious term and actually it could refer to citizens called together for a civic meeting or soldiers called together for a meeting of military. An ecclesia was simply a gathering of an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. Ecclesia never referred to a specific place, only a specific meeting. In both secular and sacred literature, Ecclesia always referred to a gathering of people united by a common identity and purpose. So when Jesus used the term, his disciples understood him to say that I am going to build my own assembly of people and the foundation for this new assembly will be me, Jesus. Now, if you're following this, 
and I realize it's a little bit technical, you should be asking the question, then why is the word church in my English Bible? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The answers to those questions are more important than we would imagine. In short, like really, really short, in around AD 300, Constantine became the Roman emperor and he declared scandalously that he was a follower of Jesus, that he was a part of the ecclesia. And in doing that, he actually brought the ecclesia, Jesus' church, into the Roman elite. And over time, they began to build, erect buildings and dedicate them to God in honor of a martyr's death. Basically, Constantine brought Christianity in the mainstream, which is pretty cool. But in a matter of decades, the ecclesia ceased to move, ceased to be a movement. It was no longer an expanding group of people sharing a unique identity and purpose. It had become a location. The Romans called each of these gathering places basilia, meaning official meeting place. And then Germanic cultures also influenced by Christianity, used the word kirka. It's my Aussie pronunciation of the word. The word meant the house of the Lord, but it was, refu- it was used to refer to pagan and Christian gatherings. And this Germanic term became the one used most often to refer to the ecclesia of Jesus. And from it, we get the word church. So the majority of your English Bible is a translation from the Greek, but not so in the case with the word church. The word church is not a translation of the Greek, it's a substitution for the Greek, and probably a bad one at that. The German term kirka and the Greek term ekklesia refer to two different ideas. A kirka is a location and an ekklesia is a purposeful gathering of people. Andy Stanley says you can lock the doors of a kirka. Not so with the ecclesia of Jesus. So how did it survive? Well, Jesus promised it would. Simple. And with a fair bit of hard work and a few hope traffickers along the way. Because in the 1500s, a man with the last name Tyndale was determined to bring the word of God to everyday people. Determined to bring the hope of God to everyday people. Ultimately, he became a martyr for it. But he began to redirect the church back towards Jesus' original intention when he said that he will build his ecclesia. And for the second time, so what does all this mean? It means that we need to look at our kirkers and ask some unsettling questions. Questions like, are we moving? Or simply meeting? Are we making a measurable difference in our local community or simply conducting services? Are we organized around a mission or are we organized around a ministry model inherited from previous generations? Are we allocating resources as if Jesus is the hope of the world or are we budgeting as a church like a squeaky wheel culture? Are we an ecclesia or have we settled for a kirka. Whew. They're unsettling questions, aren't they? 
but they're questions that we need to ask ourselves to reorient ourselves onto Jesus' original attention, intention for when he said that he will build his church. We are your local church. Or should we say, we are your local ecclesia? Probably not. We didn't put that on the wall. A church provides a space. An ecclesia fills a space. In each of our hearts, our need for community. What did we say two weeks ago? The united local church, the hope of the world. We are Jesus followers. We are hope traffickers. And we are your local church. We are Jesus followers. We are hope traffickers. And we are your local church. A gathering of people with a united mission and purpose is powerful. The ecclesia was powerful. Just look at the book of Acts and how the church grew from that moment. In fact, we're looking at the book of Acts all this year. We're going to unpack chapter by chapter, probably roll a few chapters into one week. Um, So get excited about that. But you might still be asking, where is the vision? Where is the picture? I was asking the same. I asked God about that a while back, late last year. And I was, you know, thousands of people coming through the door, fire from heaven. And God gave me Nehemiah 3. Now, Nehemiah is a great book, an inspiring book. But Nehemiah 3 is a list of names and lots of them. God, I want to inspire the people not bore them. Could I have picked a passage with more pronounceable names? And then I read it, and I hope as I read this to you, you can see it through the lens like God showed me in my living room of my home last year. Do you want to start the journey? Nehemiah 3, verses 1 to 12. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of a Hundred, which they dedicated and the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them. And beyond them was Zakur, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and stored its bolts and bars. Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakos, repaired the next section of wall. Beside him were Meshelamam, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezebel. And then Zadok, son of Bana. Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. There's always one in the crowd. The old city gate was repaired by Jediah, son of Passia, and Meshelam, son of Besodiah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed the bolts and bars. Next to them were Melatiah from Gibeon, Jadon from Merinoth, people from Gibeon, and people from Mizpah, the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates River. Next was Uzil, son of Hahiah, a goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section of the Jerusalem as they built the broad